Welcome back to another episode of Top Dogs. It is Monday, November 29th. My name is Rob Doster. I am joined by my producer, Tristan Tucker, and we are here to break down everything that happened in the battle for Atlantis over the course of the last week. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. I hope everybody ate way too much turkey and way too much pie, but we are back to the real world. We're back to doing regularly scheduled podcasts, and we are back to talking about the Yukon Huskies because we finally have games that are worth discussing. So next week, we're going to be back with the guests. Today, it's just Tristan and I breaking down everything that happened in the last three games. So Tristan, how you doing, man? What's going on? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Um, as you know, I've been following the uh, NC State team, too. And uh, let's just say uh, I've shifted my attention completely to UConn because <laughs> they're uh, disappointing me a lot. <laughs> yeah, NC State has not been uh, not been the greatest, not been the greatest. Um, no, not at all. Season. So uh, I like Kevin Keats a lot, man. I was expecting more out of his tenure. But we're not here to talk about NC State. We're here to talk about UConn. They just came off of a... Two on one week in Atlantis. The one loss, of course, was a disappointing uh, 64 to 60 defeat at the hands of Michigan State, a game that they could have maybe should have won, depending on who you ask and the way that the, that you kind of view some decisions and some some foul calls that were made at the end of the game. But before we kind of get into that and, and um, kind of get into the specifics of the actual games, I just want to know, like, big picture, what was your biggest takeaway about UConn from the last three games and from their trip to the Bahamas? This team is deep. This is a really, really deep team. Um, I mean, we touched on it last week when we were talking about it, but you've really got several guys that can just kind of pop off uh, at any moment. I mean, you've got your stars, obviously, and Sonogo and RJ Cole, but I mean, you saw different things from different guys. Um, I mean, obviously, you're going to see a lot when you score, what, 115 points in a game. You're going to see a lot of scoring. Um, but, I mean, honestly, it was awesome to see, you know, Tyler Polly got hot from deep. Uh, you saw a lot from Tyrese Martin. Uh, I was a big fan, uh, honestly underrated, uh, Isaiah Whaley. Um, and, and, you know, before he collapsed, um, 41 minutes out of him. Um, he missed the next game, but he had some nice defensive stops, nice defensive plays, really nice presence without shooting the ball a ton. But yeah, I mean, you, you got a rotation that can go eight, nine deep uh, and they can all pop off at any occasion. Yeah. I mean, that my, my biggest takeaway was that this team is as good as we thought and expected and hoped they were going to end up being this season. Yeah. Auburn is a very, very good team this year. They're going to push for the SEC regular season title, assuming that they get Alan Flanagan, who is their best player, uh, assuming he gets back healthy. Um, they're they're going to, they're going to push for an SEC title. Jabari Smith is special. Uh, Michigan State, I know that they didn't quite look as great as they probably should have uh, in the the Champions Classic in their loss to um, Kansas. And this is not like a typical Michigan State team where they're going to be competing for Big Ten titles and, and have a chance to make a Final Four. But this is still a Tom Izzo coach, veteran-laden team that is starting to figure things out a little bit, starting to put some things together. Um, yeah. And, I mean, you just look at it. With the way that Tyler shot the ball against Auburn, you know that he's capable of doing that. With the way that Jordan Hawkins has been able to shoot the ball coming off the bench, I think he adds another dynamic. I thought RJ on this trip, on this trip was just spectacular. Uh, yes. He made so many big shots and so many big plays. He had the three in the corner um, against – was that it was against Michigan State, right, where, with the shot yeah. clock where, where uh, that, that weird thing was going on. With the shot clock, he hit a couple big buckets down the stretch. Um, against VCU and then I mean Isaiah Welly is just such a a difference maker in terms of being able to allow you to play big and allow you to play small and allow and allowing you to match up with all of these kind of mismatch for like the thing about UConn this year is there are going to be no mismatch fours like that that's the key to basketball these days right our guys like Jabari yeah. Smith, 
with six foot ten dudes that can guard the four on one end and play like a three on the other end. He Isaiah Whaley is going to mitigate that. There are going to be there's there's not going to be any mismatch fours for UConn this year. So um, I came away feeling very very good about the long term prognosis of this team and what they could end up being, even if the results were were somewhat disappointing. So. Um, I, I think let's, let's kind of take it through game by game a little bit first because there's a lot to get into. But I do think uh, we'll start with Auburn, I guess. Um, I, this is what to me, this is what UConn can be at their best. This yeah. is what UConn can be when uh, their threes are falling. This is what UConn can be when Tyler Polly gets hot and when Adama Sanogo is rolling in the post and when you have RJ kind of cooking on the perimeter. This wasn't their best game defensively. And, and that's the thing I want to really point out. It's like we're talking about a team that's built on their defense, that's built on forcing turnovers, that's built on getting stops that allowed 109 points and blew a 15-point second half lead. Yeah. So I, to me, like you, you saw what this team's ceiling could be on one end of the floor, and, and that that matters because at the end of the day, you need you need guys that are going to be able to pop off and make shots if you want to have any kind of uh, any kind of space offensively. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree with you. Um, 109 points is is interesting. I, I saw that score. Uh, I was watching the game, and I was like, this is just unreal. Um, something that was interesting to me was when they got down originally first uh, midway through the first half, uh, and then they went on a run uh, when Snogo went out. Uh, again, just kind of attesting to that depth. Um, you mentioned Cole being fearless, uh, bucket getter. Um he was insane uh, in this first game in particular, uh, just noticing him going around screens. Uh, he had several pull-up threes that were just, I mean, he was just gas. I mean, that you saw it from both sides, but I mean, they were gassing from both both sides of the floor. They were just pulling up super deep. I mean, super high scoring, super amazing basketball game uh, offensively, if you like offensive basketball. Um, I do think, though, that they did a good job defensively on Jabari Smith. Um, he was held to, like, a pretty low shooting number, I think like four of 13. Yeah, he uh, if I remember correctly. Points, four for 13 from the floor. Yeah. So, I mean, he still had 22 points, but I mean, a lot of that came down to the fouling. There were 50 combined foul calls in the game. So uh, he had 12 free throws, I think. Um, so, yeah, I think they did good defensively. They did what they could. Um, just a great all around game. And um, you mentioned um, off the bench. Um, he got a nice boost, obviously, from Polly, but uh, Jordan Hawkins is another guy, too, that really stood out to me in that game in particular. And uh, I was reading, um, I don't know if you follow uh, closely with The Athletic, but uh, Sam Vicini, um, I think that's how you say his last name. Vicini. Vicini, okay. Um, big fan of his work, um, but he uh, mentioned that several NBA scouts were uh, super impressed with Hawkins in particular, um, somebody that's kind of shooting up um, at the next level, too. Yeah, I, I don't know if he's – He's definitely going to be an NBA player, and he's I yeah. think more in the uh, James Book Knight realm of two, maybe yeah. three and done, as opposed to being um, a one and yeah. done. Like he, he's got a long way to go when it comes to his handle. Yeah, uh, we saw it a couple times, specifically at the end of overtime um, against Auburn, but there were a couple of other times where the ball just completely got away from him, and he's going to have to tighten that up at the next level. Probably yeah. needs to add a little bit of strength, but there's not very many dudes out there that are his size. His, his length, have his shooting ability, and are able to, you know, kind of do the whole straight line drive, get to the rim thing. It's basically like he's going to pump fake and go to his right and hopefully finish uh, right now, but he's good enough where he's able to get that done. So uh, we'll get into this in a little bit, but I do think that he ends up being the the X factor for this team. I think he is the guy that's going to determine what their ceiling uh, actually is. I think my biggest takeaway from the Auburn game um, – more than anything else was, was just how, 
how how important that perimeter shooting ends up being. Like we we kind of knew what it was what it was going to end up being for this group, but um, when they are making shots, it opens everything else up. And I know it's obvious, and I know this is part of the reason why you see so much pace and space when it comes to college basketball these days. But uh, the driving lanes that were available when defenses were forced to respect Tyler Polly and when they were forced to respect RJ Cole. And look, 15 for 26 from three, I think they were 15 for their first 22 from three um, is yeah. not something you're going to do every single night, but the threat <laughs> of having that getting a couple to go in and forcing defenses to change. It's all about the threat of the shot and the gravity that the shooters have and the way that you can manipulate a defense with those shooters, as opposed to just uh, making the shots um, themselves. I also just wanted to mention that, you know, Andre Jackson kind of got a little bit of heat for his performance in this game. He fouled out. He only took one shot. Uh, but that dude, he does so many important things for this team. So many important things from what he can provide defensively to his ability to clean up the defensive glass. I mean, there were specifically against uh, Michigan state, there were probably four or five rebounds in traffic on the defensive end of the floor that he was able to get that no one else would even try to get. Right. And, and yes, a lot of it's going to be just him out jumping people instead of laying a body on someone. But you know what, when you're six, eight with that wingspan and that, that athleticism and that vertical, like you can out jump people. He's like, he's the one person where you're like, yeah, maybe he doesn't need to lay a body on people because he'll just out jump them every single time. So um, yeah, I wasn't really bothered by him fouling out or anything. Uh, Cause he's one of those guys that just does so much off the box score. Like you're not going to see or feel his presence, like you mentioned. So, and I mean, he still finished with like several like counting statistics. I think he had like five assists or something. So, I mean, you know, he's doing a lot of things. Yeah. Um, so I also just wanted to mention Adama Sanogo in this game, and we can kind of get in this to this a little bit later, but he had eight turnovers. He was 12 for 25 from the floor. There were a couple uh, possessions against Michigan State where he dribbled out a clock and he wasn't really aware. Um, I think those are things that are going to end up being fixed, right? I think those are going to be things that kind of uh, get figured out um, over the course of the season. He This is the first time since he's been in college that he has been the focal point offensively and his whole game is kind of get the ball in the basket, be patient, try to find a way to get to a hook going, going to his right um, over his left shoulder. Sometimes I'll come back going to his left over his right shoulder, but his game is all about being patient in the post. And there's going to be times where uh, he's, he's, this is going to happen. Like it's just, it's just the nature of the beast. Uh, it's the nature of a, a young kid that probably should be a freshman in high school or a freshman in college right now, learning how to play at this level as the focal point offensively. So that's going to get there. I promise you that Dan Hurley and Luke Murray and, and Kamani and, and Tom Moore and all those guys are going to be in his ear about it. They're going to let him know that this is something that they need to, uh, that they need to correct. So I'm not hugely concerned about that. Although it is one of those things where you kind of put a pin in it and say, we got to get this thing figured out. All right, let's move on to the Michigan state game. Cause this is the one, I don't want to say it ruined my Thanksgiving, but it just kind of, it, it took what was going to be a great holiday into something that was a little bit more, um, more frustrating, I guess is the best way to say it. And, and the reason for yeah. that is just, look, the slow start to me is completely understandable. And if you don't, if you don't get why they came out a little bit slow out of the gates, I think they shot 25% in the first half and uh, you know, they were down at one point they were down 14. I think they went into the breakdown 32 to 24 they were 19 hours removed from playing a double overtime thriller. And they were asked to come back and in an early tip, uh, get fired up again for another game. That's not an easy thing to do for anybody. And so I'm not, I'm not all that surprised that there was a slow start. And it was the same thing for the VCU game as well. 
Um, again, they got off to a slow start. Again, it wasn't pretty. I think that also had a lot to do with the fact that they had just uh, suffered an incredibly emotional um, and crushing loss and had to come back again the next day and play a game that, like, for, for all intents and purposes, didn't really matter, right? It matters for your NCAA seating, and it matters for um, for uh, putting together a resume that is strong enough, and it matters for this, that, and the third. What a, like, you got to make sure your net rating is right, but you can only get so fired up when you're playing a game where it's like, yeah, you get to try to finish third place in Atlantis when you feel like you should have had a chance uh, to win the game. So I'm not, I'm not very concerned about the slow starts specifically. I think that a lot of that was – uh, contextual stuff and if you want to complain about yeah. a slow start against Auburn I'm just going to say like yeah Wendell the, the Wendell Green kid hit three threes in a row on three on back-to-back to back possessions early in the game and you kind of punched them right back and jumped out and took the lead at halftime so that I don't know if that's yeah. necessarily counts as a slow start but as far as that game yeah. is concerned man I, I just the way that it ended is going to be something that just kind of nags at me um, because it, because for the biggest reason is why I mean, look, we all know that the the foul call on RJ Cole at the end was just horrible. Yeah. I don't want you if you're that ref behind the play, you can't make that call, um, especially when it's the wrong call, especially when your partner is staring right at it and he didn't make the call. Uh, and I promise you that that ref got an earful from it. And if he went back and he watched the film, he knows he messed that up. Everybody makes yeah. mistakes early on in the season. It sucks that it happened to UConn. Um, not much you can do. Uh, I was also frustrated by the call in the previous possession. Uh, people, no one's been talking about this, but. Uh, Tyree Spartan grabbed an offensive rebound and kind of got ridden out of bounds. And that wasn't nothing to call. They just, they gave the ball to Michigan state when he was clearly not allowed to have his space to land, which, you know, you can, sometimes you can call that foul, a foul, sometimes not, but if someone gets pushed out of bounds in my book, that should probably end up being um, a foul call. Before we move on, let me tell you guys a little bit about our partners over at bet river sports book. If you haven't signed up for bet rivers yet now, is the time because they are offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money. With their rush pay instant approval, withdrawing your winnings is safer, it's more secure, and it's more reliable. Now that basketball season is tipping off, get in on the action at betrivers.com today or by downloading the BetRivers iOS app. You must be 21 years or older. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And while I got you here, let's talk about the Field of 68 Media Network, where college basketball matters most all year round. This is a digital media and podcast network that we've been building over the course of the last year. We have shows hosted by some of your favorite players covering the program that they love the most. AJ Guyton hosts the House of Hoosier. Eric Devendorf covers Syracuse on the scorer's table. Dan Dickow hosts the Gonzaga Bulldog broadcast. We have Florida's Patrick Young and Duke's Andre Dawkins and North Carolina's Shimon Williams and Michigan's Stu Douglas and Illinois' Deion Thomas. The list goes on and on and on. We have more than 30 shows right now. So hit the links below and check them all out. And while you're at it, make sure that you go check out the Field of 12 Media Network, your home for college football. But what were your what were your take takeaways from that game? I, I mean, for me, more than anything else, it was how good they can be defensively when things get ratcheted up, and two, just how lethal this team can be in transition when they get things going. It was such a 180 from the game before. Um, I mean, you mentioned they're definitely exhausted, um, but the defensive intensity was there. Um, you holding Max Christie, uh, a guy that's that like amazing of a shooter 
to two points, one of nine from the floor. That's not really a small task. That's not something to just write off. Uh, and I mean, yeah, you mentioned it uh, earlier. This is probably a game they feel they should have won. Definitely a game they feel they should have won. Uh, I mean, it's it's disappointing that it came down to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the defense was fantastic. And uh, also considering too, uh, Whaley, they weren't with Whaley. So uh, considering the fact that they were gassed and they were without one of their better defenders, I, it's one of those things just like what you can do. Yeah, I mean, and it's not just what Whaley does defensively either. We saw it against VCU down the stretch. His ability to 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 make open shots um, and to kind of be a threat on the offensive end of the floor beyond just, you know, being the guy that shuts down opposing teams for men is something that yeah. uh, is influential in this team. I mean, against VCU, Whaley finished with 16 points, four boards, two assists, two steals, two blocks, and hit two huge threes down the stretch that, that made sure that one, UConn got to overtime, and two, UConn had the lead. When we got to that extra frame. Um, yeah, I mean, the, look, the Michigan State game, I think more than anything else, we saw what this team's ceiling can be on the defensive end of the floor. They mm-hmm. were there was there was about a 12 minute stretch in the second half where Michigan State just did not stand a chance. They couldn't do anything. Yeah. They, they couldn't run anything. When when you have lineups where you're going to be able to put Jalen Gaffney out there with Tyrese Martin and Andre Jackson and Isaiah Whaley and Adama Sonogo. You are going to absolutely envelop teams. Maybe even throw Jordan Hawkins out there instead of Whaley, and, and all of a sudden, like there's just there's so many long, athletic, defensive-minded lineups that you can put together with this group that are just going to overwhelm teams. They can be switchable. You have so many guys that can guard different positions. And, and look, I'll, I'll give Adama Sonogo credit, man. I did not realize how good he was going to end up being um, defensively. Like every ball screen. He forces like when he hedges hard, he forces the ball handler to dribble out five feet the wrong direction, which is exactly what you want him to do. Uh, They always have the tagger in the right space. So you can't hit the roll man the way that you need to be able to hit the roll man. Um, Sonogo, I think, is terrific around the rim as a weak side defender and a help side defender and a guy that can just kind of go vertical and not let you get a shot off like they're they are so good defensively when they are going right. That that to me, that is kind of. I mean, this team is built on uh, basically on two things, right? Uh, being able to shut people down, create turnovers and score in transition, number one. And number two is getting the ball into Damas Inogo and kind of letting him rock in the post and playing off of that and off of the threat of a post touch for Sonogo. Um, and I think that for probably a 12-minute stretch in the second half, like we saw UConn doing what UConn do, does at their, their absolute peak, and I mean, when they can do that, they are really, really, really good. Now, what I'll say is this uh, part of the reason that they lost this game is um, Tom Izzo is a brilliant basketball coach. There is a reason why he's a Hall of Famer. He schemed up a couple of plays to get guys good shots. Uh, he found a way to shut the shut UConn down and turn off that valve um, offensively. And, you know, it is what it is. There was a game, a couple of calls go our way. UConn probably wins that game. But I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think UConn is significantly better than Michigan State right now when you with everything combined. Um, and the fact that a slow start and a couple of whistles went your way is going to turn what should have been like a three to five point win into a loss. It's just what happens. It's, it's part of why college basketball is college basketball. It's part of sports. So um, I'm not I'm frustrated with the loss. Uh, I'm not overly concerned about the way that things are happening. Um you got anything to say about this VCU overtime loss or should we just kind of erase that from our memory? That was horrible to watch. Yeah. Yeah. We should uh, not talk about that one. <laughs> yeah. All, all I'll say is this. Um, 
VCU lost two of their top three scores and three of their top eight players uh, to season-ending injuries in October. They're always known as a great defensive team. And now the only way that they can play is to completely make games as ugly and disgusting as possible because they can't, they're not going to be able to score in the 70s. They have to win in the 50s. And the only way to play in the 50s is to make it as ugly and as unwatchable um, as possible. VCU did a very j- good job with that. And UConn still found a way to get a win in a game where it did not feel like they were playing anywhere near their best. So if you want to look at it with a glass half full, like you want a game you shouldn't have won against a team that has a winning ped- pedigree and is a great defensive program. Yeah, and I mean, 21 turnovers too. Yeah, it, it was it was an ugly game. They didn't play well, and they won. Take yeah. it for what it is. RJ Cole at 26. He's awesome. Take that for what it is. Um, all right, so there's a couple of things that I want to hit on as we kind of get into this. Um, I, I basically have five things written down that I kind of took away from this weekend, and we're going to start with, uh, with Jordan Hawkins because to me, he's the guy, like, if you want to talk about where this team's ceiling comes from, I think he's the guy that gives them a ceiling as – a second weekend uh, potential Big East title contender, final fourth, or like whatever you want this team to end up being, and as good as they can end up. And I, to me, I think that they're they're a step, they're just a notch below Villanova. They're right there with Seton Hall at, in terms of being like a top fifteen team in college basketball with a ceiling that can get you something. To me, it's Jordan Hawkins. That's the X factor, right? I mean, he if he can find a way to consistently be a 12 to 14 points per game guy coming off of the bench, then, I mean, that, that changes what you can be, especially offensively. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, also too defensively, his impact can't be overstated. Uh, I think the Michigan state game, he had like five stocks. I mean, it does it all. Uh, And he also had one of the best uh, defensive ratings in the game. So yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. What you're getting out of that bench is what's going to take you to the next level Uh, between him uh, defensively and offensively. And also Tyler Polly too. You kind of saw it. Um, The shot making you know, the amount of points you can get when he's, you know, six of nine or whatever versus when he's going over six, the next two games. Yeah. I mean, Polly's the threat offensively. He's not anywhere near the defender or the playmaker. Oh, yeah. That yeah. Hawkins is. And, and like, we kind of, we know, we know what Tyler Polly is at this point. Everyone yeah. in the big East knows what Tyler Polly is at this point. You let him get hot. He's going to get 25 on you. If you can yeah. kind of slow him down. He might have games where he goes over seven. It just, yep. that's who he is. That's what he is. And you just kind of have to live with the variance with him. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But Jordan Hawkins, like the thing about Hawkins is um, there's there's small things that he can kind of fix to, to make himself better. The, the biggest thing is just the handle, right? Just get yeah, in the yeah. gym, do two ball drilling drills every day, do the Kyrie Irving uh, pregame workout kind of a deal and get that handle tightened up. And all of a sudden he goes from being a guy that is just kind of like a catch and shoot attack and closeout threat offensively to someone that can do a little bit more. You know, we see. Andre Jackson initiate the offense and we see RJ Cole and Andre and Tyrese Martin and all these guys get put in the ball screens right now. Jordan Hawkins is just kind of an off the ball guy. And I think you can see him more, get more involved in kind of on the ball um, initiating actions, which just makes him that much more of a threat. And the other thing is he is the one guy on the perimeter that I think really has the ability to kind of be a, give him the rock and let him go kind of a player. Like that's the one thing that UConn doesn't really have is a kind of like a guy that you can just kind of get the rock and let him go. And you know, something good is going to happen. And if he can be that player, be that guy that can kind of break down a set defense, be that guy that will allow you if you're um, if the ATO set that you call after a timeout and a big possession doesn't, doesn't work out. He's the guy that you can just kind of give the ball to and let him go create something against a set defense. And uh, to me that, that 
that is we saw it down the stretch against Michigan State. We saw it sometimes down the stretch against all against Auburn. Sometimes we saw it against VCU. That that inability to be able to go make something out of nothing is where they really struggle. And I do want to talk about that a little bit as a bit of a bigger picture thing because there, I got a sense that there's a lot of frustration about the fact that UConn can sometimes struggle to create in the half court. Right? This this is the this is the team and the kind of program that Dan Hurley wanted to build. He wants a team that's going to overwhelm you defensively. He wants a team that's going to force turnovers. He wants a team that's going to make it very, very difficult to break 65 points against them. He wants a team that's going to take those turnovers and take those defensive rebounds and make easy layups and, and create all of that, the, all, all of the points in transition, get easy baskets out of transition. This is that this style of team is what he wants. Now, there's only so many guys that can do what he wants to do defensively that are also going to be great offensive weapons. And the majority of those guys are playing in the NBA, right? Like if, if, if Andre Jackson for everything that he could do could also make threes and break people down off the dribble and was a great passer, he wouldn't be at UConn as a sophomore. He probably wouldn't be at UConn as a freshman. Like he, he'd be a one and done G league ignite going to Duke, don't going to Kentucky lottery pick and he could still get there. But the reason why he's at, he's at UConn right now is because he's not the perfect player offensively. You like, you can't, you can't expect to have all of these guys that are the total package be at a program over the, like, I, I, I want, I don't want this to sound critical because these guys are all great players, but like the, are, the reason why some of these great college players are great college players. And it's not just UConn, it's guys like Kofi Coburn. It's guys like Hunter Dickinson. It's guys like Drew Timmy, like Luca Garza. There are great college players that are going to be in college because they're not perfect basketball players. Cause if you're a perfect basketball player, you ain't staying in college. So what Hurley has done is built a program around getting a whole bunch of these guys that do the things that he, pro- he values the most on a basketball court. And that's gotten us to be a top 15, top 20 team that is going to overwhelm almost everybody that we play defensively. Right. There's going to be times when it kind of looks ugly on the offensive end. That's just what it is. It's just who this team is. It's kind of what they are. And you're just going to have to accept it and wait for the, this group and the coaching to kind of develop RJ into that point. The, the guy that can break that down, get Andre, uh, Andre Jackson, get Jordan Hawkins into being something of a James book night role off the bench. Like you got to be patient with it. Right. Because that's yeah. what this program is. And it's gotten us from the point where we didn't give a shit about UConn basketball to caring about it so much that it ruins our Thanksgiving when they lose a game that was a tight fall, a hard fall game against the, one of the teams that plays in the champions Classic. So just like settle down. It's okay. This, this is what we are. Embrace it, have fun with it. Enjoy it. Cause that's what this team is. Um, I will say this though. The, the second thing that I've written down, if you're going to be a team that relies on the transition game, you have to clean up some of like the, the, the sloppy mistakes. There's probably three or four times a game where there are just easy, uh, easy mistakes to correct where you throw a ball out of bounds in transition, or you throw a chest pass instead of a bounce pass and you don't get a layup out of a possession, or you throw an outlet pass. that's just a step beyond uh, the guard that's, that's running the floor that ends up being a turnover. You turn, you get rid of those four, three or four transition turnovers a game, and they end up being two or three baskets. You're four to six points better. And four to six points that you can guarantee in any game is going to be so much better. Then combine that with making sure that Adama Sonogo is not dribbling out shot clocks and maybe work on having him recognize the double team and be able to kick the ball out. Like there's little things that can make them so much more impactful on the offensive end 
being there defensively, you ask any coach in the country, they're going to tell you the first thing that you install is your defense because you want that kind of base and that solidity. And UConn has that. They got to make some tweaks offensively. And there's tweaks that can be made and easily implemented. So, like, it's fine. Just relax. Yeah. We're good. We're going to be fine. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right. So the third thing I've written down is Adama Sadogo. And, and the, the biggest thing is kind of developing that awareness that he needs to kind of sense where a double team is coming from and be able to see who is going to be open uh, when he kicks the ball out. I'd like to see some more kind of like – I kept seeing people refer to, oh, you need cutters going to the basket. No, you don't, you don't want to bring help closer to him. If anything, what you need is some weak side action where you have like a guy in the opposite corner running off of a staggered screen on the weak side of the floor so that the defense can't double team and can't send people off of uh, the weak side. And maybe you get someone losing like a Tyler Polly, or maybe there's a defensive uh, breakdown and someone loses RJ Cole. Just you just need a little bit of re- uh, of off ball action. That's all you need. And you need Adama to be better at recognizing where those open players are. And again, the, I promise you that that staff right now is with him in the film room, showing him like, hey, when this double team comes, you got to see the ball right there. So it's going to get there. It's, it's Adama's first season being the focal point offensively like this. Just give, give him time. Give him time. That's all I got to say. Just give people time. What, what, were your, what was your take? I've been hyping him up. You've heard me hype up Adama Sanogo plenty. What was your takeaway from him? From Adama specifically? Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Um, this this team is going to take some time to gel together, but especially him. Um, I liked your uh, comparison, or not necessarily a comparison, but you brought up guys like uh, Drew Timmy, uh, your Hunter Dickinsons, your Luca Garzas, and he falls into that kind of range for me. Uh, someone that can just take over a game completely offensively, but there's little holes in his game that are going to need to be fixed. And, but I think, like you said, they're going to be. I mean, he's just a guy that's going to take time. Um, he had an ugly last game, I think, against VCU. Who didn't, uh, other than Cole? Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the turnovers, I think, I'm not too concerned about. Um, the thing that I'm mostly concerned about with Dama, and it's, like, hard to call it a concern because, like, he's been so fantastic, um, just the finishing and, like, the, the shooting numbers in particular have been pretty – like underwhelming. Uh, it would have been nice. Um, I think when he scored 30, he like shot sub 50%, I think, uh, off the top of my head. Um, getting to that, like getting that above that threshold is going to take this team another again to, that's another thing that can take this team to another, another level. Yeah. I'm, he was 12 for 25 against, um, against Auburn. I think against Michigan state, he was eight for 18 from the floor. Uh, I don't have yeah. a box score up for VCU, but he wasn't very good against VCU. That was probably his worst game of the weekend. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, he's got to, he's got to be more efficient and, and more effective with his post touches. But again, I think that'll get that, that, that will come a lot of, yeah. a lot of what he does is kind of get to a jump hook going over his shoulder. And it just seemed like that for a while, he kind of got out of a rhythm. Like when he gets into a rhythm offensively, he hits every single one of those. So um, I, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned with that, especially because um, once he hits a couple and it forces defenses to adjust, then he's going to start kicking the ball out. And all of a sudden you're going to be able to get the defenses into rotation. So um, I mean, yeah, that's, I'm not, I'm not concerned. He, he's going to be just fine. Um, yeah. I will say this, he's the best big guy in the big East and there's a very real chance that he can be big East player of the year. If it all comes, yeah. comes together for him. Yeah. Um, the next thing I have written down is just how good this team can be defensively when they get it going. They just, they overwhelm you, man. They just, 
that they have so much length and so much athleticism and they're so aggressive and they're so good at forcing turnovers and they're so good at taking those turnovers and, and getting easy buckets at the other end that when this team is at their best, that's what they do. I don't know how you yeah. deal with it. There's, I don't know what the solution is, honestly. Um, I agree though. Yeah. It's just fun to watch all those athletic players. And I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, you've got your, you know, eighth, ninth guys in the rotation. They're able to just plug in and play like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that that's the best thing about it is you're bringing guys off of your bench that can kind of uh, fill a lot of the voids that you have. And I, I do want to mention another thing too, because I saw some, uh, some hand ringing about who, who this program decides to use as the starting lineup. It's basically, for the most part, it's, it's been um, RJ Cole, Tyrese Martin, Andre Jackson, Isaiah Whaley, and Adama Sanogo. Like if you're, if you were to ask Bob Hurley, uh, Bob Hurley, if you were to ask Dan Hurley, who his, who his best five is, I think that he would probably say those five, that's at least who he wants to start. Um, and I would just go back to the point that he's building a program that is built on stops that is built on forcing turnovers, getting blocked shots, and that is built on being effective in transition and getting to the offensive glass. Those are the things that he wants to that, that, that he wants to be the staples and the core tenets of his program. Those are the guys that do those things best. So, yes, you're going to see games where Tyler Polly gets in and plays 32 minutes, goes six for nine from three and scores 24 points like he did against Auburn. You're going to see games where Jordan Hawkins is the guy that steps in, can do some of that stuff defensively, that can play that role. He's going to go – he's going to start the guys that he trusts. And I think it's very clear the guys that he trusts, the veterans that he trusts right now. So, um, yeah, that, you're going to see a lot of different lineups. The lineup that starts isn't always going to end up being a lineup that finishes the game. But just like – Relax. Like this is this is what the team is. This is who they want him to be. They want it to be great defensively. They want to be able to force turnovers and get to the offensive glass. And he starts the guys that are the best at doing those things. So just this is what it is. This is who we are. You need to even in even in the loss. I mean, you saw that core ideology come out. Uh, I think the like funniest statistic of that game to me is not really funny, but uh, they had I think like 19 steals and blocks combined. They outblocked them 13 to one. Uh, I mean, it, it's just an insane metric. It shows like even in that loss, they're playing up to that ideology and they're, they're being what they want to be. So I agree. Uh, I'm even more, I'm even higher on the team. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't bothered by the loss uh, because of that call. Um, I mean, because you saw that. And because it, it's Michigan state. Yeah. You have a great coach with players that were hot as hell in the first half that played great in the first half that were able to make a couple different plays down the stretch. Like the whole yeah. The whole idea, look, look I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie it up in a bowl like this, right? Last year, Baylor did a lot of great things, and they had a lot of great players, and they had a lot of NBA players. But the three things that they did better than anybody else, they were the best three-point shooting team in college basketball. They were top five at getting offensive rebounds, and they were top five at forcing turnovers. What that means is that you maximize the number of shots and possessions that you get, and you do the one thing that is the most efficient thing that you can do in college basketball, and you do it better than anybody else. So you maximize the number of shots and you take a lot of shots that are the most efficient shot that you could end up giving. Right now, UConn is sixth nationally in offensive rebounding rate. They are top 30 in turnover rate and, and, and uh, forcing turnovers, and they are top 50 in three-point field goal percentage. They are maximizing the number of shots that they get. And the thing that is the most uh, efficient thing that you can do on a basketball court is something that they've done pretty well so far this season. And they're also great for blocking shots and they're 
uh, going to end up being a top 15, top 10, top 15 defensive team. And they don't let you get very many clean looks around the basket. Like there, there's, there's a lot of very, very good things about this program and the things that they need to clean up more efficient post touches for Adama Sanogo, better decision-making for Adama Sanogo and cleaning up the sloppy turnovers in transition. Those yep. are e- Those are easy things to fix. Those are not difficult things to fix. There, there, there's not something with this program that is like completely broken, right? This is yeah. a very, very, very good team that was one possession away from beating Michigan State and getting a shot at the reigning national champs in the title game of the battle for Atlanta. So just relax. We're going to be very, very good. We're six and one. When was the last time you felt yourself irked by a UConn team because they didn't have a chance to go and play for a title? That's what they 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 had a chance to go for a play, play yeah. for a title here. So just it's all good. Think about where yeah. we were two years ago. Okay, it's all good. So just be happy with where we are in the state of the program right now. I couldn't I could not be more bullish on what this program is going to end up being this season. If those are the main things that you got to clean up, I think you're in a pretty good position. Exactly. That's exactly the way that I feel about it as well. Well, listen, Tristan, we've been here for about 35 minutes now. I do appreciate the time. I do appreciate you, you uh, dedicating yourself to UConn basketball these days. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm in a bandwagon, honestly. Uh, it's a hell of a lot more fun than watching uh, NC State. <laughs> well, we're going to convert you. I got to get you some teas or something. We yeah, yeah. RJ Cole, cold-blooded t-shirt. That's what we need. Yeah, yeah sounds good. Well, listen, next week we're going to be back with the interviews. Uh, it's kind of a boring week for um, the games themselves. We have two more teams against teams ranked outside the top 300. UConn is probably going to beat by 40. So uh, yeah. next week, though, the week after that, for the second week of December at West Virginia, and then we have the Bonnies in Newark on a neutral court, which will be quite a bit of fun. So until then, Tristan, it's been a pleasure.